just yesterday we said omni-channel. So maybe that wasn't the right strategy. Maybe individuals need their own individual needs and, and we need to focus in on them and, and provide tailored solutions for, for each, each kind of group of demographics. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is Kara Hayward here, hosting your FinTech Karaoke Series, <laughs> focused on partnerships in the FinTech universe here in North America. I'm very excited to have a special guest with us today, Wade Arnold from Move. Welcome, Wade. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So Wade is the CEO and founder of Move, and I would love for you if you could maybe just do a quick background about yourself, about Move, and what you're building. Sure, that sounds great. The quick background about myself, I think I've been in fintech since before it was called fintech. So <laughs> my, my uh, path into here was I started a company in 2008 called Bano. Bano was a mobile banking and, and internet services company for community banks. And that was uh, sold to Jack Henry in 2014. I stayed there for, for two and a half years and got to you know, work with more than just my product offering there. So that was fun. And the last really three and a half, four years, I've, I've been at a company called Bilgo that I was an investor in, did all kinds of different fun roles there. And we, we were modernizing bill pay and, and taking that to you know, large financial institutions. And then Along the way, I started uh, an open source project called Move, which was designed to move money and move the industry forward and really open source these like low level payment protocols and, and uh, things that you know, are not critical differentiators to anybody, but are critical infrastructure to everybody. And uh, the project has just exploded. And, and so we've We've kind of taken that from from project to product and, and built a company around it. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about that journey because and, and we'll talk a little bit more later in the series about the open, open source movement and, and why you went that route. But what what motivated you to start that project and then eventually turn it into a company? And and why now, right? Like why why is this the right time to build move? Yeah. So the I think the motivation was twofold. Number one, I like to say Move is the most boring company in all of fintech <laughs> in that we're not, we're not trying to do anything new. Maybe how we're going about it is new, but you know, depository services are defined by the OCC, right? The NACHA regulations are defined by NACHA. As long as you're an exciting cat like me and like to read the 650-page PDFs and <laughs> implement that in code with test coverage, then it, it's not, not overly complex, but it's the, really the motivation was a lot of this, a lot of the pieces in order to build FinTech, you know, are, are in essence locked into, you know, mainframes or, or kind of legacy core systems, right? And, and I think those are great products for branch banking. And, and, you know, if I, started a branch bank. That's what I would use as well as the bank in the box from, from the major player in that space. But fintech's different, right? Fintech is vertical slices of pieces of that core. 
and they really need to be built at web scale. So it's, um, you know, I don't need the 10,000 features on the branch bank core. I need 10 and I need 10 million of them, right? So it's, it's a totally different cross segment. And, and that's really the space that, that we see as uh, most of the innovation is happening. And all of that space is developer first, right? So it's engineers that are really looking for the solution versus, you know, bank CEOs that are, are looking for something to, to help them operationally. And that was kind of the motivation. You know, I'm, I'm a software engineer from trade and, and uh, started programming in third grade. And so, you know, Move makes a heck of a lot of sense to me that, that you would go to GitHub to, to solve your problems and, and not to uh, Ruth Chris, you know, yeah. to a salesperson <laughs> tell you something. I love that. That's a great analogy. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And, and so um, <laughs> this is a bit of a, I think a controversial question, but everyone likes to talk about it. So fintechs versus banks, right? Okay. So there's two sides, I think, or maybe three sides. One is fintech's a trend. It's gotten way too much money. None of them will be profitable and they're all going to die. Um, and the banks will finally catch up and it, the banks will win after all, or banks are dead they're not innovating. They're never going to like the fintechs are going to take over. And I think there is a third camp that thinks that there can be room for both. What do you think about that? <laughs> Which side, uh, if any, are you on? Yeah, I, I think I'm on the all of the above side. And so what I mean by that is, is if it, Mark Andreessen is correct in that software is eating the world, right? And if uh, Matt Harris is correct, that that 8% of software companies do payments and 80% will in, in 10 years. And if everything is FinTech, then really nothing is, is FinTech, right? So Angela at Andreessen Horowitz likes to say that. So, so I use the word FinTech today, right? We're really talking about usually direct to consumer, you know, embedded financial, nobody even knows where the deposits or the payments are going through. I think banking has called that treasury management for a long time, but, but banking has that, done that in a one-to-one -one relationship. So that's the, the loan officer, commercial loan officer to that business. And where I think FinTech is different it's, is in these vertical SaaS companies where, where the banking relationship got pushed out one layer. And so, so it's one-to-one -to, -one to many in that the... the uh, fintech company is really the commercial customer at the bank. And then their customers, which could be in the tens of millions, you know, all, all need those banking services, all need that through a regulate, regulated, chartered institution. But the bank isn't going out and getting those 10 million consumers, right? That's what fintech's doing. And so I see that accelerating. I, th I think if you've ever used Uber, if you've ever used Airbnb, it's almost this iPhone moment where you can't unsee it, right? You, you can't go back to the BlackBerry after you've seen the iPhone. You can't be an independent contractor in anything else if you've ever used DoorDash or Uber. And so that's the new world. Everybody else is just trying to catch up. You know, the, the future is in essence here and how do we catch up? So, so I think every vertical SaaS company makes operational efficiencies for those verticals and, and payments are just going to be part of that stored value remittance is part of that. Yeah. You know, on, on the banking side, it turns out to move money in the United States, you, you do need a charter. Yeah. And, 
<laughs> and yes, you can say well, the MTLs and, and you know maybe the fintech charter are going to do that. But so far, that's you can't truly you know do banking services with an MTL, right? That's like saying you're going to a digital bank on a prepaid card. It doesn't exactly work when you really get down to it. And so banks are are in the spot where I think they should be embracing fintech. Tons of non-interest income, tons of cheap deposits, which may not matter today, but hopefully someday that's a useful thing again. Yeah. And, and that, that should be exciting. You know, the, the deals we're seeing in the big bank space are really big banks acting like fintech. So it's, they're saying, I'm going to you know, consolidate my spend on branch banking, but I'm going to innovate in a new vertical, whether that's you know, servicing elderly, high net worth, uh, you know, millennials to, to any specific unit in between and, and really tacking that. And so when you talk to a bank that's going after a vertical, they look, act, and smell like a fintech, right? And, and it's really just a, a difference of, do we do all things for all people? I mean, remember the, the fun omni-channel buzzword. Um, <laughs> Seemed like just yesterday. <laughs> like just yesterday, we said omni-channel. So maybe that wasn't the right strategy. Maybe individuals need their own individual needs, and, and we need to focus in on them and, and provide tailored solutions for, for each each kind of group of demographics. And so, so I think it's all of the above. I think FinTech continues to expand into all of software. I also see banking, you know, try not to be everything to everybody. Obviously they need to continue doing that to keep the deposits, to keep the loans at this point for that is a demographic, but what does the next set of users look like? Yep. Awesome. Yeah, makes sense. And, and one interesting thing that, so you talked about omni-channel and, and one interesting trend that will be really cool to see where this goes is, is some of these vertical fintech challengers that are now trying to become more of that omni-channel bank to try to expand business lines and drive more revenue, right? And, and, and you know, for shareholder value and all of that. Um, and I, I'm just curious, like, do you think that's the right move? Or do you think that maybe the best thing to do is kind of stick with that vertical approach? or do you think that they've actually identified the needs of their vertical and it just happens to be that they did need to expand a little bit to, to, to service those? What are your thoughts on that? So I think they have a balance sheet problem yeah. right now and that, that the concentration of deposits and loans is under that omni-channel customer, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they expect. That's what they call a bank. And so you, that can't go away, you know? And, and so how do you compete with, you know, challenger banks that are up and coming and offering unit cost economics that are much lower than omni-channel. You know, the, the drive up tube costs money. So does the, the property that it's on. Yep. But, but the cost of that deposit expects that drive up window. The cost of the deposit at Marcus doesn't. And so I think that's, that's where we're starting to see, hey, we're going to keep on running our bread and butter as, as efficiently as we possibly can, mm -hmm. and then look to other opportunities to decrease that unit economics mm -hmm. in order to increase the lending and, and the deposit ratio. You know, if, if it costs you $14 a month to hold a deposit in a branch, you know, you, you can go get some more deposits if it only on the digital channel costs you, you know, a dollar a month in order mm -hmm. to keep that account open. Yeah, great. 
So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about your open source model at Move because it's very yeah. unique and very interesting. Um, so first of all, why did you decide to go open source for Move, the Move project? And just want to hear kind of your thought process around that. I, so, you know, I'll give you a bunch of reasons. You know, number one, uh, as a developer, Move's built for developers and developers choose open source first uh, or open first because they need not only the code and, and, and more people use the code than contribute to the code. <laughs> Always, but they, right? <laughs> right? But they want the transparency, right? So, you know, the, the fact that we're in an industry that open, honest, and transparent is a competitive differentiator tells you a little bit about the industry we serve. But, but really it's about how do, how do we also uh, thrive in a community, right? So um, payments is different in that when things fail, it's bad. You know, it's, it's, you don't get to restart the Windows web server. Payroll didn't go through, right? The, the wire didn't go through. And, and a lot of times that can be because somebody submitted a file that didn't have the right carriage return, you know, that, that you don't even know exists. in a yeah. Right? They used a Windows machine or Microsoft Word and they submitted a, 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 a credit report in that and it turns out that blows up, right? <laughs> so, so all these edge cases, I think the open community, you know, it's kind of the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. Um, every single person out there that contributes just a little, little bit to it, uh, everybody gets the benefit of that low-level protocol. And, and I, I think that you know, we may be disrupting the people selling the .NET library for $40,000 a year or whatever, but, but we're not disrupting, you know, that higher level of the entire payment orchestration and process flow and, and all the pieces that come through that. And so uh, the more exciting thing is watching people use it for different use cases, right? Watching top four banks run years of ACH transactions through our library so that they can take that flat file, generate JSON, and then load it into their machine learning models for fraud to provide better services for customers. So they get the benefit that uh, they didn't have to write that code or they didn't have to submit to a mainframe. We get the benefit that you know, four and a half trillion dollars worth of ACH transactions flew through our library now have test cases, now have that hardened piece that I would argue there's, there's not very many ACH libraries on earth you know, that have that level of, of uh, fidelity. And, and that's the power to me of, of open source is, is the community you know, uh, joining in in order to fix these kind of low level issues and not have to deal on Friday with production outages because they, they didn't know one little edge case that blocked the entire file from going to the Federal Reserve or going to a credit bureau or going to the IRS. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So I think one big question that comes out of an open source model is, is how, how is Move going to make money? <laughs> like, what's your business model if everything is kind of open to everyone? <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's a fair question. I would say, first off, if I put all of our source code from Bilgo or Bano, on GitHub, uh, good luck, you know? So I, I think there is some amount of expertise that's always, always necessary. And 
but but in general, we've open sourced these low level protocols, you know, and, and we'll continue to do that, right? So uh, the the one we just did is ISO twenty o twenty two. Okay, so that is a low level protocol, you know, it happens to be used in the clearinghouse, it happens to be used in Edwire, it happens to be used in Swift, happens to be used all over the world. The actual server implementation of Swift is drastically different than the clearinghouse, which is drastically different than uh, than um, how Fedwire utilizes that same protocol. And so I think there's people that benefit from having that low-level protocol out there. There's a lot of people that benefit from having service-level agreements and indemnification and dashboards and APIs and, and SOC 2s and and uh, you know, bank sponsorships. And, and that's where we see our monetization strategy is, hey, if, if you wanna go build this stuff from scratch and you wanna be responsible for social security numbers on your servers and bank account information, and if it doesn't get to the lane of bed at four o'clock at night, you don't care, um, <laughs> you don't have at it, yeah. right? But um, there's a whole lot of other people that think, man, I'd really like to partner with a company that is open first, and, and, and then uh, delegate a lot of these operational aspects of this to them. And, and where, you know, moves a little bit different is, is we do have a, a SaaS solution, but we're also, you know, bank agnostic. So we don't, if you want to use a different bank, you know, have at it. There, there, some of our competitors have packaged that all together. Uh, we're portable. So if you want us to run move, you know, on-premise with, with your PII data so that it's uh, under your own SOC 2 or in a VPC or with your cloud provider, it, we can do that for you. Um, and then, you know, the fact that it's open and transparent, we've had customers that are paying us, needed a new feature, you know, they're a develop, development shop, so they add that feature into the open source project, you know, they walk away though after that. So we, we merge that back in. We have the test cases. The next production release for, for our hosted solution has that solution uh, that they added in there, but they're no longer worried about you know, what version of Linux is this running or Go or database version or, or any of those pieces. They just like that that feature got added. And, and we see that happening time and time again. You know, the, the comps that we're looking at is we don't want to look like, you know, FIS or Pfizer when we grow up or we wouldn't mind looking like their market cap. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but sorry, that came out of my mouth. Like, no, I love it. I mean, I who doesn't want to look like that market like cap, that. right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I just mean, you know, business model wise, we'd rather look like, you know, confluent with Kafka or Elastic or MuleSoft. Um, you know, Redis Labs, right? These are all multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies. And you could argue their, their source code is, I guess, out there on GitHub. Um, but it's really kind of the, only the early adopters that I think we, we uh, may not be able to capture all the value we create, mm -hmm. but they're also giving back. So, you know, uh, I, I think if you look at our team, which is 11 people and what we've accomplished, and it was four people two months, two and a half months ago, right? We play a lot bigger than our weight, yep. right? <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a lot of neat things going on. And that's, that's not because 
of anything other than we have an incredible community that, that, that are people like Tyler from Bank Nova or Zach from HN Bradley that are, are brilliant and they're contributing back to the project for, for the greater success of all. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I think um, one thing for the audience to be aware of is, is the community obviously is the, the, you know, the GitHub community, right? And the actual developers providing um, their code back to the Move community. But there's also a Slack channel where there's the communication around it too. And so I think that's been a really interesting thing. I know being a, a member of it myself and seeing the collaboration through the Slack channel as well, it, it's kind of neat because you're seeing the, the developer side of it, but now you're really starting to see a lot of the other roles that go into making a fintech successful, starting to collaborate as well through that community, which has been kind of neat. So one question for you about this community, though, because obviously there's a lot of, you know, what they call it white hats, right? So, so people who have been positively contributing and, and really helping build the community in, in a collaborative and positive way. Is there any risk for like a Trojan horse situation <laughs> or, you know, because there's a lot of, so the Bass space is getting to be hot, right? Lots of money going into a lot of the big pieces of service platforms. In North America specifically, it's really small, right? There's only a handful of folks doing what you guys are doing. And to be, to be fair, like what you mentioned, it's really hard to do, right? Really hard to build. But what is, do you have any concern around other folks trying to kind of, you know, build off of what you guys have already built and kept open? How do you protect yourselves against that? Or are you really like, you know what, it was so hard for me to build in the first place and I'm not so worried about that. <laughs> Curious about your yeah. thoughts on that. <laughs> well, I think if, if I said I wasn't concerned about it, that would be an arrogance thing. Yeah. <laughs> With the straight good luck and there's so much money flying into fintech. You know, I have no disillusions that Amazon couldn't jump in there, you know, put a couple hundred million out in the project and, and do that. And yep. which more or less they've done with things like MongoDB and Redis and, and other open source projects. And so, you know, two pieces there. We, we do keep these low level building blocks, which are the most critical pieces open source. But, you know, I, I think the, I think there's models like Red Hat where everything's open source, right? And then there's models like GitHub. You know, you've been able to use Git from the command line on your server for forever, yep. right? But it turns out it's a heck of a lot easier to use the website and, and pay them for, for a lot of the additional features that they have. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, unlike GitHub, um, you know, GitHub didn't write Git. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in our case, whether that's ACH or Wire or, or X9, you know, those, those level building blocks are out there. But, you know, kind of all the pretty dashboard and, and all the workflow pieces, orchestration pieces, you know, helping with reconciliation. You know, I like to say payments is actually more about reconciliation than payments. And, and all of those pieces, you know, we have an open source because once you open source something, you, you can't put that genie back in the bottle uh, or the <laughs> community will kill you. And so, um, you know, we, we want to continue those low level protocols, but we are a for-profit business, yeah. right? And, and so yeah. those pieces are out there. And, and then to your other question, kind of the bad actors, you know, I, I'm maybe more concerned about, you know, Chase leveraging it as a banking, as a service provider than, than some startup. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what we see in, is most of our prospects are large institutions or large fintechs. And so we don't really have, I think there's other people out there that are doing a good job for the 500 startups or tech stars that you know, need to iterate on an idea quickly. 
you know, our prospects are, are companies you would know, and they're looking to uh, differentiate, bring this in-house, you know, kind of uh, have more control over their long-term destiny than, than a single uh, third-party vendor. And so uh, that being said, you know, uh, we, we try to not pick winners and losers. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to pay us, we're, we're willing to help. Yeah. And, and uh, otherwise, we have a great community and, uh, and you can get help there. Yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome. So one, one other question, so shifting focus again. What has been, so I think in the payment space and, and the fintech space, I think the hardest thing is bridging the gap between a lot of the legacy tech at banks that, as you mentioned, right, you have to have a bank charter <laughs> to have some sort of fintech, right? It, it, going the MCL route is just impossible nearly um, in North America. So banks have to be involved no matter what. I know that you guys have done a lot of work to, to bridge that gap, right? To, to take some of that legacy type of software and or processes or regulation and build um, developer-friendly, developer-first um, you know, technology on top of that. But um, I think one thing that is hard, and we talked about, about this, a little bit about this in the community, is tech is one thing, right? But then there's the, the compliance, right? There's the regulation, there's the operations, there's the business model, and there's so many other things that go into it. And you could have maybe the payment instructions automated, but then you find out, oh man, the transaction monitoring, the, the, the bank I'm using, that they don't have a, you know, a, a new age service for that. And we have to pass a file to them to, you know, and, and it just breaks the whole process. So in your experience and all the work that you've done, what do you think some of the hardest processes were for you to automate and for you to build technology on top of? So banks love to physically look at things <laughs> from a risk standpoint. And, and I think that workflow aspect of it is, is always the most difficult. And so what's the root cause of that? The root cause is risk because mm-hmm. the person with the charter is on the hook for that payment, right? So um, I think sometimes consumers can complain about banks, but they don't realize that $140,000 goes out in the wire, it is gone. Yeah. And um, it takes a lot of nickels to, to catch up to $140,000. And, and banks have, all other forms of uh, revenue opportunities that normally offset some of that risk. But if you think purely of payment providers, you know, you can't offset that risk in a nickel and ACH, right? Um, which there's probably listeners that are like, I would never pay a nickel for an ACH. So it's all good until you lose money. Right. And, and I think that. That's really an, from an automation standpoint where we spend the most time is what are those pieces that the back office actually wants to look at? It turns out those are great training sets for machine learning when people actually click on something that they want to review. And so rather than them spending time looking through the list of things they need to review, you know, can we promote those into items that based on previous uh, reviews that maybe they should review today? And and that's an easy way of double checking duplicate payment amounts, right? Double, double checking duplicate payments without setting up a rules engine. You know, machine learning actually does those, those aspects well. I don't know that we're ever going to get to a point where, where um, a bank allows you to just blindly submit things to the network, uh, but they, they definitely are interested in ways of making their operational back office more efficient. And so that's where we want to spend the time. Not telling them, don't worry, you know, the computers are in control. 
but use the computers to give them more control and more efficiency for the time that is being wasted scrolling through a list of transactions that are, are about to leave. So we, we look at it that way. I think one unique differentiator about Move is we're trying to play for a very long haul. Yeah. So there are companies out there that orchestra, you know, have a, a API that does everything. Um, Move does not do that. Uh, the API that does everything also has every other legacy provider behind it. And what we've chosen to do is, you know, everything we do create is totally independent with, with zero dependencies on legacy providers. So, you know, our API, our entitlements, rights, and permissions that are connected to the internet, when you submit a payment, it ends at Fedline. You know, it, it ends at the network. It doesn't, it's not a, uh, you know, modern API on, on uh, what is it, the lipstick on a pig, right? It's, yeah. not, <laughs> it's not a modern API on, on a legacy system. We're a complete stack. And so we don't have all the features that make other people provide it. That's fine, you know, but it does allow us to have a lot more granularity, a lot more control of, of what we do, do we do well. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, as you said, you're building for the future, I think, where it allows for more future innovation as well, right? As regulations change, as the industry changes, as it will and always does very quickly, um, yeah. it sounds like you'll be set up to handle that, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah, regulations change. They even, you know, this year, they even backdated changes <laughs> in regulations, which uh, helps to have an, you know, inventing system that you can go replay history yep. in order to bring, uh, you know, fees and interest forward. So, um, <laughs> so. I guess as we kind of wrap up here, what's next, right? So, I mean, you have a ton of insight into the industry. A um, couple, couple questions around like trends that you're seeing, what you think the industry should do in the future. So, so I think first off, um, talking about like your, your prospects, your, your prospects, right? So the fintechs that are out there, what do you think are the next sort of vertical fintechs that will see success or see adoption? Um, I know, for example, there's been a lot of talk about servicing the SMB market better. What do you see there? Yeah, so I'll uh, Wade Arnold comment, not Wade Arnold CEO move comment. <laughs> yeah. um, so what I continue to see is, is people wanting to do stored value and payments to be more efficient, right? Mm -hmm. so, so I think small business has gone through what's typically called like a, a horizontal SaaS. So if you look at something like Salesforce or Bill.com, you know, these are big swaths of the marketplace, good for both, both companies, but it's, but it's, um, you know, minimum industry terminology, minimum industry specific features, you know, what's the biggest swath of the market. Now, what, what I'm seeing in the small business space is more, more vertical specific, right? Whether that's a home builders with, with a company like built right to yeah. HOA management, uh, property management, um, you know, these are the bread and butter normally of community banks, the, mm -hmm. the person that owns 40 uh, homes around, around the college, right? The, the home builders, the, the uh, HOAs and, and, uh, and realtors, you know, all, all of these companies move lots of money. Uh, they're complex workflows, you know, wire in to an escrow account to disbursements the next day. Some of that should go same day. Some of that, that should be pushed to debit. Some of that should be RTP, right? So these complex workflows that fraud is normally channel specific, like, well, we got ACH fraud, we got this fraud. So 
more complex workflows that are, are really industry specific. And I think, you know, if the the next if the last decade was horizontal SaaS companies, yeah. you know, and, and with Salesforce and Bill and, and, and a bunch of great examples there, you know, probably the next decade is vertical SaaS companies that really hone in on an industry, whether that's, you know, law offices or HOAs or home builders, or realtors, to all of these companies or all these industries move tons of money and, and need, that, need that money integrated into the digital workflow, not, not going around it in, in a check, which is still the most common payment vehicle in B2B. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> amazing, right? And, and so no reconciliation. Like, uh, um, and, and so if you look at what Shopify and others have done in e-commerce, mm-hmm. I would expect a similar outcome of that, that, that vertically integrated uh, solution in, in every industry that's, um, that we serve. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think um, where workflows have been um, built out for these vertical industries, payments were never a piece of it. So it's completely disjointed. So I think that does really truly provide a good example of what, what is embedded finance and what are embedded payments. And that's a, that's a great example of that. And, and what about regulation? So I know that um, <laughs> like, you know, we've seen what happened in Europe over the past, you know, decade or so around open banking. I know there's a lot of talk about this, so you know it's it's definitely a subject that you know we hear a lot about. But I'm just curious about your unique perspective. Do you think that we can continue to innovate and 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 do what we're doing in the current regulatory environment, or do you think there are specific certain changes that really need to happen to proliferate the industry? Yeah, I think we're starting to see. I think there should be regulation around consumer access to data. I don't know that. I, I don't know. I don't want there to be regulation on technologies mandated to access that data. Mm-hmm. So uh, with, you know, over 17,000 financial institutions, you know, Jack Henry has five, five different core banking systems, right? The, the others, you know, have 10 or more. There's a reason there's five. Yeah. They do different things. Yeah. And I think there's a, a false narrative that you can have a standardized API, which, you know, if, if you're not a banker, I guess a loan's a loan. Turns out there's a lot of different types of loans and 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 a top lot of different types of deposit solutions. And so, what I would rather see is is uh, uh, this cat and mouse game on web scrapers. But but I would love to see you know at least the ability to have access to that data in a read only way. Mm-hmm. And and that is in banking. But you know what do we do with our banking data? We pay bills. So. Uh, I would also like access to my mortgage information, my credit card information, my utility information. You know, the list goes on on those items that my money is being spent on. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the access to the data is where we'll actually get great automated uh, financial management. You know, most PFM today is still designed around a uh, regression analysis or, or we're looking at a string you know, the length of the string in internet banking was designed so that it could print on an A9 IBM printer. No way. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so rather than going and getting the data from ACH or from wire or from the credit card swipe or from the debit card swipe, you know, we concatenate what we may deem important so it can print on a statement or in it to a PDF. And now we have an entire 
you know, multi-billion dollar companies that then take this crap string of data and decide uh, what category that's in or all kinds of stuff. And, and really, if we just got rid of the crap piece of data and went back to the source of truth, you know, this would be a much, much easier process. And so, so hopefully, you know, I would love to know my utility bill coming up exactly how much that's going to be, not in a PDF that I need to OCR. Yeah. You know, I, I'd like to know that not in, you know, you know, great companies, Plaid, MX, GZO, others that figured out ways of guessing what that future bill would be, but actually tell me through an yeah. API. And, and I think uh, if people want a unified API for all the banks and all the, all the billing companies, you know, we're America, somebody will make that unified API. We just need the right to the data in order to do it. Yeah, that's great. That's great insight. Anything else you want to share with our listeners? Um, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate it. Anything else on your mind? Anything else you're seeing that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, I'll, I'll do a sales pitch. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Slack.move.io. Yep. You know, it's over 700 individuals that are in the industry that uh, I would say more than half don't use anything from Move, yep. but but there are, are open and transparent uh, sharing information, very inclusive community. And uh, people are asking all kinds of great questions in order to, to really deal with those kind of low-level problems that they deal with in their day-to-day operational needs. And so I encourage any of your listeners to join that. And I think, they'll, I think they'll get a lot of value out of being a part of the community. Agreed. And, and as, as we mentioned, it's open source, it's free to join and you don't have to be a developer to join the Slack community. I am obviously not a tech person, but I found a lot of value. And, um, you know, I think the, the collaboration across all the different, um, the roles that are, are really amazing to see. And if, if not for anything else, you can see lots of amazing pictures of delicious food, as well as really cute pets in a few of the fun channels too. So, <laughs> um, well, thank you, Wade. This has been absolutely fantastic. Love your insights as always. Um, really appreciate you joining and looking forward to continue to see what you build. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Karen. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at currencycloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.